0: 839 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. This
1: city is my city. And I love it. I love it. I was born in Mac I got it made. And if I have got the way I'm gonna stay.
0: Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our
1: community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to the CEO Roundtable Show. Glad that you have tuned in this weekend. Uh, We've got a special guest joining us this week on the CEO Roundtable. That is Taylor Burks, uh, former Boone County clerk and uh, a candidate for the fourth congressional district uh, seat, a Republican candidate. Uh, Taylor, thanks for joining us this weekend.
0: Thanks for having me again,
1: Fred. Absolutely. We uh, have lots of things to talk about. This, of course, has been a, a week of uh, uh, a lot of big news events. Uh, uh, but before we jump into some of the topics that we, we want to cover with you this, uh, this weekend, uh, tell us, it's, it's been a while since you've been on our program, so tell our listeners, just give them kind of a reminder about your background and, and uh, where you came from and what you're up to these days
0: i'd love to uh as you know fred and some of your listeners who've heard me before i'm a fifth generation farm kid grew up on my grandparents farm cattle farm down on the ozarks first in my family to go to college met my wife my freshman year we got married senior year and i joined the navy Uh have served 15 years now in the united in the united states navy both active duty and reserves Uh just got back from my third deployment to the middle east in 2020 um while I was on the reserves before that deployment, I served as Boone County's first Republican clerk in 200 years, and to date, <laughs> still only Republican clerk uh, wow. in 200 years. Yeah, and uh, through all that, husband, dad of three little boys, and uh, supply chain professional for the United States Navy.
1: Yeah, well, gosh, a pretty impressive background. I, I. Um I want to kind of just sort of uh, give our listeners kind of an update. Uh, there's been a lot of changes uh, since the uh, district maps were redrawn. But before we get into that particular topic, kind of give us a feel for what's happening in this fourth congressional district race. Uh, how many people are in? Uh, who are your opponents? Is there anybody on the Democrat side that's running? Uh, uh, what kind of just give us a feel for for the lay of the land right now.
0: Yeah, well, there are seven candidates who have filed. Uh, I'm the only candidate from mid-Missouri who's in the race. Uh, three of us, we consider the more serious candidates, and the other people are good people. Uh, but a couple of guys from the Kansas City area have some name ID over there. Kansas City area is about a third of this congressional district. And then the rest of it is mid Missouri and Southwest Missouri, uh, around Springfield area. So, um, only candidate from mid Missouri who's, who's running. And we've been pretty fortunate to lead the field every quarter in fundraising. Uh, we've been fortunate to lead the field in endorsements and local support. Uh, big endorsement that we rolled out earlier this week was U.S. Senator Tom Cotton, uh, endorsed my campaign largely because of my background in, uh, national security but he's also a sixth generation farm kid cattle farm kid from Arkansas and so he and I have some some similar similar backgrounds that he thinks would be uh, valuable in the United States Congress.
1: Yeah, it's really, uh, it's kind of interesting because you are not of the candidates. You are not the career politician, uh, in the race. Right. Uh, there are a lot of uh, career politicians in this race, but, uh, surprisingly, uh, you have done a remarkable job of, of getting out there covering every corner of the district as it, as it continues to evolve and, and leading in fundraising. Is it hard right now to raise money?
0: <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, it's not too surprising for people that uh, me being a uh, you know, as I said, a military guy and farm kid that we're doing well in this race. It's actually gotten a little tougher. I mean, you would uh, not be surprised to learn that with gas prices skyrocketing, uh, with food, everything that we pay for skyrocketing, conservative voters are fired up about taking back this country. But we're also concerned about our own family budgets. Um, even so, we've still managed to put together. Uh, a quarter, our next quarter is going to be as strong as our past quarters have been. Uh, but we've definitely noticed that some of our uh, smaller donors who've given consistently and regularly have uh, started to dial that back which tells us, you know, we're probably entering the beginning of a recession at this point.
1: Yeah. You have, before we get into that, uh, you have sent, spent uh, some time in Washington, D.C., getting around and talking uh, to other elected officials, uh, uh, to House leadership, Senate leadership. Uh, you're, you're a fresh face, a fresh face in Washington. What, what are you hearing? Uh, what are people saying to you about Missouri and about what needs to happen in the United States Congress? Well,
0: you know, we have a a big U.S. Senate race that gets a lot of attention in the state of Missouri. There's a little bit of drama, uh, a couple of candidates uh, who get a lot of attention for the wrong reasons. Uh, But we also have two U.S. congressional seats that are open for the first time, in our case, 50 years for the fourth congressional district. And these are races that just don't get a lot of attention because of that big U.S. Senate race. Yeah. But this is a congressional seat that represents two military bases. Uh, not being open for 50 years means that voters, for the first time, are getting to see a wide-open crop of candidates to talk about the issues that are important to us and that are important to uh, people in the fourth. When I talk to folks in Washington, D.C., they really have that East Coast perspective, and it's not always a, a nice conversation to have. They're, they're focused on the day-to-day inside the beltway grind. And I have to remind them that, um, out in Missouri, in our fourth district, from mid-Missouri, Kansas City, to the Ozarks, uh, there are a lot of problems that people have with the tone and tenor and what's not happening in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and that's why voters are supportive of an outsider like me, who uh, has a background outside of politics, um, even mm-hmm. while I ran uh, elections in Boone County.
1: When you say that the seat has not been open for uh, 50 years, help me understand, I my my uh, recollection goes back as far to Vicki Hartzler beating Ike Skelton, which was a big surprise to a lot of people. Uh, Ike yeah. was kind of a, a middle-of-the-road a Democrat, a fairly moderate, very moderate, um, and I think people were surprised to see Vicki Hartzler, a newcomer, come in and, and beat him. But But when you say open for the first time in 50 years, help me understand that context.
0: Yeah, we call an open seat. That's when an incumbent member of Congress is not running for re-election. So it's an open seat. Wow. Vicky won in 2010, but she beat an incumbent. Yeah. And so it wasn't an open seat at that point. Yeah. So you have to go back to when Ike first ran for Congress in the 70s to find the last time missouri's fourth district was uh didn't have an incumbent running for reelection.
1: goodness that's that's amazing well that's good and i know that uh, that there's nothing like a fresh face in washington i think that that excites people i want to uh speaking of fresh faces and old politics i want to talk about uh what happened with the 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 district lines of the fourth congressional district um you, uh, I know you did a lot of uh, media interviews uh, the week that the governor signed uh, this into uh, law. But give us your uh, assessment, uh, sort of your thoughts regarding on the, the new district lines. Uh, what, what is your initial reaction?
0: Well, you know, this is not a, a district that looks much different than what it used to look like, except columbia and boone county got split in half mm-hmm. and i think that tragically it took the governor and the u.s and the state senate passing and signing into law uh this new bat new map before our local media started paying attention uh you know the tribune the Missourian, none of our broadcast stations even covered that columbia and boone county was going to be split in half during this process i think it weakens us i think it makes gives us a smaller voice in two different congressional districts. And I promise you, I promise any listener uh, that if, if we elect a congressperson from, you know, a Kansas City suburb, they've already not shown up during the campaign in Columbia, Boone County, the rural parts of the district. They're certainly not going to do it when... Our voice is half of what it used to be in the fourth district
1: yeah that's uh, it 's confusing. Do you look at this as i mean when if when people ask my opinion, I, I immediately go to the fact that uh, Columbia is known in the state that is dominated by a uh, what should have been a supermajority in the House and the Senate um, dominated by republicans and, and of course Columbia is known as a very liberal community. was this mm-hmm. in, any, in any way punishment uh, for our bad behavior as uh, as liberals?
0: No, I think that this was personal politics, that there's a insider, you know, a state legislator who's been in Jefferson City for well over a decade, who's also running for Congress. And he didn't, he's not from Boone County. Uh, he's barely been to Boone County. And so I think that as he was a part of the conversation for these congressional maps, he wanted to gerrymander a district that weakened Columbia's voice for his own election in this Republican primary. So I think that was the big motivator and Boone County kind of got sacrificed because of the, the delegation that we sent down to, to Jefferson City. Uh, we became a negotiating chip, a bargaining chip, and that's the tragedy of these gerrymanders. You know, people people who are in power in the state capitol get to draw the, the lines for themselves and for their friends, and it's why people are sick of these insiders who are running for office. Yeah.
1: Uh, you're talking, of course, about Rick Bratton, uh, who, uh, I guess, uh, uh, played a role in, in that gerrymandering. Um, you know, I, I guess that one of the things that, uh, as I look, as I watch the news, as I, I don't pay as, uh, as close attention, uh, to things as I once did, but, um, it's kind of an embarrassment what's happened in Jefferson City, just all the way around. Uh, your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think we look at the culture in Jefferson City, uh, people, how people who we elect go down there and how they change during their time at the state capitol. Um, I, I look at things that have passed or failed to pass over the last two years and can't help but be embarrassed at the state of our state, uh, at this moment. Um, we've elected super majorities of conservatives. There are a lot of policies I think that could make our state better. Uh, more competitive, move us forward with economic development. And instead we get trapped in these personality conflicts, these struggles uh, among inside politicians and lobbyists are a part of it uh, in the state Capitol. I know there, there are not many people that I talk to that are pleased with how our state legislature has operated the last couple of years. Um, But it's, you know, it's the the state of what it is. And until people wake up and engage and stop reelecting or choosing folks who have their own personal interest in the game uh, we're going to get the same stuff that we've always gotten down there
1: yeah and you have been quick to point out that uh, what happens in jeff city has nothing to do with what's happening in the united states congress and but it is a reflection on on people who are running for congress on the jobs that they have done and the failures that they have they have uh, certainly experienced in that capacity
0: yeah yeah they uh they'll point to hearings they've sat in on or legislation that they voted on. So they want to point to those types of experience. But when you say, you know, let's look at your whole career, the amount of time that you've been in Jefferson City and been in politics, and what do you have to show for it? You have to include the bad stuff. Uh, and I, I would say the, the bad over the last few years has outweighed the good of what we've seen from folks and the work that they're doing in Jefferson city. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, I'm going to shift gears. Uh, Certainly some, a topic that is on the the minds of everyone is the, uh, the tragic school shooting that took place in Texas uh, this Mm -hmm. week. And, and, you know, it's a, you know, it's a fine line because um, no matter how you feel about gun rights, it, it almost, this almost becomes a, um, a point where people very cheaply start leveraging uh, their views yep. on gun rights and, uh, and associate it with uh, a tragedy um, so as as a as a candidate for congress uh, when you look at what happened in Texas and you hear uh, parents and and Gosh, I hate to say this out loud, but you you hear sort of the same old folks uh, immediately, uh, like Beadle work, uh, leveraging this uh, to their political advantage uh, as an anti gun message. Uh, what, what's your initial reaction when you hear those types of comments?
0: Well, Fred, um, I don't know anybody who's not moved by some of the stories that happen, like this this instance this past weekend in Texas. I'm a dad of three little boys who are in public schools. My wife is a teacher and has taught in public schools. Uh, One of the first times that these instances hit close to home for me um, was the Sandy Hook shooting when my wife was in her first year of teaching and our youngest son was one or two. Henry was one or two at the time. And when you're a parent and a husband of a teacher, uh, these things hit you so much harder than when you're a little detached, you know, college kid, you hear about uh, different, uh, you know, tragedies across the country as well. Um, these things are personal for a lot of us, for parents, for husbands, for, for dads and kids and, and anybody who sees these things, it's, it's, it's gut wrenching. I'm the youngest person in this race and my whole campaign team has young kids. Um, we're all young people and these things are tough to hear. And then you have to switch gears and talk politics about it. And that's the disgusting part. If we mean this, I mean this genuinely, um, there's not a political solution to instances like this. These are cultural. These are heart problems. Um, these are issues. Even this instance in Texas, uh, it appears that this school had a safety plan where doors were unlocked. Uh, cops were there and still the worst case scenario happened. And so to me, these are not moments that we need to talk politics.
1: Yeah, the voice you're hearing is that
0: a- we need to be present in our communities. We need to figure out how to be better parents, better citizens, but it doesn't have to be about policies that we need to change and react to in the moment
1: that's the voice of taylor burks fourth congressional district uh, candidate for congress when we come back we'll continue our conversation about uh, guns and violence uh, in our public schools and other public settings we are visiting with taylor burks we'll be back after this on the ceo roundtable i'm fred perry this is 93.9 the eagle ah you can talk about the pit Bobby. The band was jumping, the people too. I mess around, they're doing the mess around, they're doing the mess around, Everybody doing the mess around. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. This is Fred Perry, your host this weekend. We are visiting with Taylor Burks, uh, a candidate for Congress in the 4th Congressional District. And we've been talking about the tragedy that took place this week of the shooting at an elementary school in Texas. And, uh, uh, you know, Taylor, when I listen to this, and, and you know, I uh, admittedly, uh, as I lead into Gary on Guns this morning, uh, am not as conservative, uh, not as staunch about gun rights as, as perhaps I should be as a Republican, but... You know, I often wonder, you know, shouldn't there be just a little bit of wiggle room uh with the NRA when it comes to things like background checks and and other things. And I, and I understand the that when you give liberals an inch, they take a mile. Uh but uh should there be some wiggle room? Is there any common ground that could be found uh that would maybe um uh satisfy some of the 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 very 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 liberal interest?
0: Well, uh, what I say and point out about background checks is that if you buy a gun at a gun shop today, you have to undergo a background check that the number of school shootings that we've had, the tragedies that we've seen, um, either the gun owner met all requirements that they ought to have, or the person who had a weapon uh, had it illegally and shouldn't have had it anyway, mm-hmm. uh, which means that the rules weren't the problem in these instances. The problem was... Uh, safety measures that failed. The problem was uh, lack of intervention for an individual who clearly needed either mental help or family and social help that they were not getting. Red flags, just social red flags that popped up that we didn't intervene with. Mm -hmm. And so the problem to me is that if, if I felt there was any solution to this through government action, We could have that conversation but every instance that i've seen in this country these are these are tragedies and mass shootings where more government intervention wouldn't solve the problem we again have a social problem we also hear a lot of misreporting um i i recently learned a statistic that france actually has more instances of mass shootings in that country than we've had in the United States over the last 20 years. Hmm. But we don't care about them because it's not hmm. in schools. Elementary schools certainly are, uh, it grabs a lot of attention. But it tells me that this is not a United States problem. It's not a government problem. It's a people problem. And if we have created soft targets for our schools, or people who have a mental illness, or people who want to do harm to others, can easily get into a classroom, and massacre 19 kids and their teachers, that's a safety issue that that would never occur in a federal building yeah. because of the safety that we have there. We've created zones where people who want to do harm can be very successful in creating that harm, and gun control doesn't fix that. Yeah.
1: I think, uh, just off the top of my head, of the many businesses in, in town that, uh, you can't get into without being buzzed in. I mean, they're, they're locked. Every door of mm-hmm. that business is locked. And, and it just seems like this is a bit of a no brainer for our public schools or for any school, uh, to completely make it impossible for an outsider, uh, to get into that school. Um, That's right. do you, I mean, we give a lot of lip service to things, uh, but do you do you hear much discussion about, you know, I think about all of the American Rescue Plan dollars that have been spent and all of the mm-hmm. municipalities, counties, cities that uh, don't know how to spend the millions and millions of dollars that the federal government has given them. Um, I mean, why aren't we using some of this money to, to make our schools more safe?
0: more safe honestly fred i've not even seen that lack of resources is the problem we've heard and will continue to hear news about this texas school shooting but uh, i read a report that said they had doubled their safety budget in the last three years largely with funds from the state and with federal dollars they had created their own police department for this school system and the shooter himself encountered cops before he even made it into the school, yeah. and so the problem was not lack of resources. The problem was not lack of control. The problem was easy access to a to a zone where um, you know he got in, barricaded himself in a classroom, and then you know did did what he did. Yeah. Uh, and so if you can have the best safety precautions, best safety rules in the world, but if you don't follow them. That's when these instances happen. So it's it's absolutely right. Our schools need the resources to make sure single points of entry that uh, responsible, trained uh, law enforcement or security is there to prevent a tragedy like this. Um, but we we can't overreact because of the emotions and understand that in the moment, like I've I've wept every time I've heard some of these stories about these school shootings. Mm-hmm. But it's harder to say. Is the solution more government involvement, more spending, or is the solution for us to prepare better and be safer and have uh, that conversation in the community? That's that's a much harder process, but it, it's how we used to be. And how do we get back to a culture, a society where people, you know? People never even dreamed of walking into a school and shooting up a classroom, yeah
1: you know school safety is, is a lot like uh, the other part of this problem uh mental health, where you see right. people pointing fingers at other people saying, well they if they would do this, we could do that but I, I just I think about the millions and, and the really the billions of dollars that have been spent uh, re- literally in this state alone <laughs> on trying to upgrade mental health services and and uh, the the care that we give to people with with uh, mental illness. Uh, yeah, but um, you know it's it it seems like uh we really don't have any measurable progress uh in terms of uh you know if 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 uh, mental health had key performance indicators we you know we would be zero uh we're we're just right. not making any kind of progress in spite of the fact that we have thrown literally billions of dollars at this problem
0: yeah well you know even in Boone County uh we've been upheld as a model for community support for mental health screenings in our public schools, the resources, the children's services fund that we have and collect in Boone County that, you know, uh, Michelle Obama heralded <laughs> our yeah. action in Columbia to yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. And then as you point out, we don't have any key performance indicators KPIs on how we've moved the needle or moved the ball on improving mental health, uh, mental health services, Either for kids or for adults in our community, I think part of the problem too is the minute you create a public program, you have the same old, uh, you know, usual characters and actors who want to get their hand in that pot, and they're not actually serving uh, and and pushing forward on an area that we all believe is important. But how much money do we spend, even in Boone County, on something like children's services or mental health, um, and and we don't see actual meaningful change. Because it's the same dollars or new dollars going to the same people, the same program. Without accomplishing what we want them to accomplish, yeah, uh,
1: that's what I call poverty pimps. So we have a lot of people that are uh, making right. a lot of money off of poverty, uh, but yet when you ask them for accountability, when you ask them to show the results of their efforts, and and you know you read in the news that the federal government just gave uh, the Clumpy Housing Authority uh, another big bag of money to do something about yep. the, the homeless population, and I guarantee you, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, uh, when you when you look at the measurable uh uh components of homelessness in our community nothing will have changed and so uh, it's just we stand in line to get these bags of money and then uh there is zero accountability and and that's really a
0: shame millions yeah millions and millions of dollars i'd heard a number at one point that columbia city council or columbia housing authority was advancing a a plan for 25 million dollars to invest to eliminate the homeless problem meanwhile for the last two decades columbia has had the same census of of homeless people. We've not increased or decreased our homeless population over those years while we've spent tens of millions of dollars. And so the issue becomes: you know, are these public programs, are these spending programs, worth what they're doing? Not that these problems don't exist, but if we've not moved the needle after taxes and tens of thousands of dollars spent toward them. they're not solving something. And so we need to look for different solutions than uh, what folks on Columbia City Council want to advocate for.
1: Yeah. I uh, recently heard a St. Louis t- radio talk show host uh, praise you, Taylor Burks, uh, on uh, sort of the command that you have on national security. Topics. and I want I want to shift the gears to national security because uh, certainly what we've seen uh, transpire though it has been taken from the headlines uh, what's happened in in Ukraine over the last uh, uh, couple of months uh, is yep. certainly shocking uh, and something that we had not expected uh, uh, to uh, to see happen I guess but give us your assessment on, on what role the the United States is based on all of your military experience uh, and uh, your your experience with national security security what role should the united states be playing in this conflict right now
0: well the united states has to be a global leader for liberty and democracy but we can't force that on other countries or other cultures that don't believe in those things so uh, i believe in reagan's vision you know even h.w bush's vision about a city on a hill shining city on a hill thousand points of light that if we're serving and providing that leadership and example other countries can and will eventually follow Mm -hmm. but we've also learned over the last 20 years that you can't force that and we can waste trillions of dollars going too far for that pie in the sky idea when sometimes it's generational or centuries to to turn the ship on these ideas in these other countries Mm -hmm. so when it comes to ukraine and eastern europe i think the united states has to allow europe to be the leaders they need to be in their own world we can't forget that Russia is not our friend. And mm-hmm. certainly the actions that we've seen from them in the last 10 years uh, show us that Russia is never going to be aligned with the United States on the global stage, uh, on on human rights, on, um, you know, just moving the ball on all of the, the issues that we see in the country, whether it's global poverty, whether it's, you know, you could talk about climate change. None of those things. Does Russia care about the same things that The United States cares about yeah we have to remember that
1: yeah we're not even sure that Ukraine is our friend I mean I they they have been bad actors in the past and but I think it sort of shows us sort of the uh, the depth to which we've fallen uh, when it comes to national security
0: that's right so my point with Ukraine is that we we can be supportive we don't have to write blank checks across the globe every time something pops up but if Ukraine needs you intelligence to combat an aggressor like Russia, I think the United States can and should play a key role in the world in coordinating that without spending tens of billions of dollars every time a conflict does pop up. Because the real problem that we face is China. You know, this is a massive, massive country with the spending power and production capacity that exceeds the United States. And I saw a meme somewhere from, he looked like a veteran, uh, but he said, you know, if the United States fails, there's no one to save us. Mm-hmm. So many other places look to us to save them, and if we get dragged down in every you know third world conflict or third world you know second rate dictator uh, taking action against their neighbors, we weaken ourselves, our our national treasure, uh, the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines who serve. We get distracted by these things, and then when real stuff happens with a real country like China and we are not able and capable of combating that, there's no one to come to our rescue, no one to come to our aid, and no one that shares the values that we have that, that are about you know, liberty, democracy, human rights, the things that we genuinely in our core believe as a country. There are not other countries to save us from what China believes and what China's view of the world ought to be. We have to keep our eye on the ball, and China's already starting to take action and steps that show us that they're, they're gonna be deadly serious and take, uh, take some moves in the next five, 10 years that we have to be prepared for. And so that's, that's what we have to, to be concerned about anytime something like Ukraine comes up. Help people where we can, but don't lose sight of the fact that there's an ideology that's 180 degrees from where United States and America stands, um, and we have to be prepared for that.
1: In 30 seconds, uh, what is the greatest threat that we face from China?
0: Uh, I mean, it's a complete lack of regard for human rights, uh, that liberty that we know uh, moves forward. If you want to talk about local issues or, or, uh, you know, current events issues, their theft of uh, property rights, uh, you know, they'll steal any technology that we create in a heartbeat and their ability to produce far more than we do. There are so many things that are concerning about China and why we eye on them that um, it's it's night and day versus the United States.
1: Yeah, and that's Taylor Burks, a candidate for the 4th Congressional District. I'm Fred Perry. You're listening to the CEO Roundtable. We'll continue our conversation with Taylor Burks right after this on 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable show. I'm Fred Perry, your host. We are visiting with Taylor Burks, candidate for 4th Congressional District. You might remember Taylor as the, the one and only, the Republican Boone County clerk in the 200 year history of Boone County and, uh, now, uh, candidate for Congress here in Boone County. Uh, not your typical politician. Let's just say that. And so we are thankful for that. A, a great service. How many years did you serve in the Navy, Taylor?
0: 15 years now. 15
1: years. And you're still, uh, active uh, in the, uh, what do you call it? The reserves?
0: Yeah, still serving the US Navy Reserve.
1: Okay, very good. And that takes you away. Sometimes that takes you to the Middle East and uh uh points of uh, that most people would not want to travel to. So uh,
0: I don't want to travel there either. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your service. We appreciate it.
1: When we uh, I want to just touch real quick on uh we have, they have not been in the news as much lately. Uh of course, uh, President Biden was in Asia this week, but w- what about North Korea? Uh, is there do you what do you see happening in North Korea that we ought to be paying attention to?
0: Well, uh, we I think had a lot of hope when President Trump was in charge that as unorthodox as his approach was, uh, North Korea was thawing toward the United States, and we could get meaningful change uh, possibly with the regime, but just potentially with the tenor and tone of the regime that's there. and that's that's just gone. That's out the window. So the concern with North Korea is that they are a nuclear state. Uh, they have the ability to put nuclear warheads on rockets and fire it at the United States or any number of our allies who are in the Far East. Um, when you have a nut job who has a nuclear trigger, who can obliterate half of the world if the wrong mood strikes him, mm-hmm. then we understandably would be concerned in the national defense sphere. And so, you know, President Biden's trip to, to Asia gives any of us jitters, <laughs> given his inability to stay on message or his uh, knack for saying exactly the wrong thing at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, North Korea is one of those areas that we we have to be prepared and we have to know what the consequences are if we fail.
1: If you're a bad actor uh, on on an international level, now's the time to probably try something to see what you can get away with, I would guess.
0: Well, don't don't encourage them,
1: Fred. Yeah, I understand, but I mean, it's just—I uh, mean, uh, yeah. based on the way that right. we have seen uh, the United States react in Afghanistan, uh, yep. our our lack of uh, willingness to really do something meaningful uh, in Ukraine, um, and uh, sort of you know allowing uh, North Korea to continue to shoot missiles and and uh, uh, taunt us—I um, yep. would say that uh, we. You know, we, we probably don't seem like we're a very uh, uh, tough opponent right now.
0: Yeah, not a tough opponent and a less than reliable ally. So ever since I kicked off my campaign, President Biden has repeatedly taken the wrong step and embolden our enemies overseas because he believes in a world where peace and compromise would win the day. And that's, mm-hmm. that's great in a third grade classroom. I love the idea that my boys learn from their teachers. Hey, if we work together, we can accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the world stage, there are people who will never come to terms with the United States and Western view of what liberty, democracy, human rights mean. And so they only understand what power can project, that mm-hmm. we can accomplish peace through strength uh, with the United States and our allies. And this president, time and time again, has shown his actions don't appreciate that view. It's why we saw the fall of Kabul on not our terms, but on the Taliban's terms and behind the scenes, China's terms. Or it's why we've seen the Australian nuclear sub uh, agreement nearly fracture NATO right before Russia decides to get really aggressive with Ukraine. Or the president's trip to Taiwan or excuse me, to Japan last week, and he makes a comment about us now being in a mutually a mutual defense agreement with taiwan which has never been the united states's position mm. and is only going to go china to taking action against a country that we do want to make sure is independent and protected even in status if not name yeah. uh, And so these are the things that we have to be concerned about and we need more leaders in congress who appreciate this and can hold the pentagon accountable behind the scenes, even while Americans are concerned about gas prices or or baby shortages or, uh, you know, a, a recession that's looming or finding the right job or protecting their kids in schools. These are the day to day things that Americans care about. And we need leaders in Congress who can focus on the big picture protecting us in a very dangerous world.
1: Let me shift gears in this third segment, uh, third and final segment, to talk about where uh, Americans are really sort of feeling the consequences of this poor leadership. And that's really in the pocketbook. But, you know, for most Americans uh, who have 401 Ks or investments, uh, they have seen, depending on who you talk to, uh, a decrease uh, in their portfolios of anywhere from 20 to 30 percent over the last six months. Uh, Gas prices are at an all-time high, all-time high, uh, you yep. look at what's happening in the grocery store when you can find uh, the items you're looking for. You are paying considerably more. Uh, how much more for of this can, portion? That's right. Yeah. How much more of this can Americans take?
0: Well, it it harkens back. I've, I was not born during the Carter years, but it harkens back to the Carter days where uh, we would see the stock market swings, the recession, uh, as you said, twenty to forty percent. Uh, declines in portfolios while we're seeing real inflation that's not the government number of around 10% real inflation is closer to 20 21% based on what the old formula used to be for the consumer price index Ooh. so your personal your household wealth wealth is declining from a quarter to half while you're paying you know 20% more for staples and gas you know gas alone has doubled in the last year i would i would say and And I'm afraid to say that uh, AAA estimates that gas prices are going to be $6 a gallon by the end of summer, which would be over triple what we were paying uh, at the end of President Trump's term. Mm -hmm. These are things that spiral a country and until we get our fiscal house in order. And until we get people who are in charge and can make smart policy decisions uh, about how we protect this country's economic strength, Americans, every single day, when they go to the grocery store go to a restaurant or or fill up their gas tanks, they're going to pay the price. And they don't understand that this inflation and the stock market hit, is a hidden tax that we're paying because of these terrible economic and even environmental policies that this administration pushes.
1: When you look at Fed and monetary policy, I mean, what what, what are we doing wrong? I mean, is there anything that concerns you in terms of the way that our government is reacting to this crisis?
0: Yeah, well, we, we've seen over the last two or three years something like 40 percent of the entire world's money supply has been printed by the United States just in the last two years, and when you have a policy like that, where money, where printed money, money, our currency, our fiat dollars, are just created out of thin air, we are now paying that price at the pump or, or wherever we go. Um, those fiscal policies are intended to make short-term, you know, ease our pain short-term, make it easier to access credit, buy homes, those sorts of things ignoring the long-term implication that we could be destroying the foundation of our economy. It's like eating sugar. You know, it feels good in the moment, but it rots your teeth. And I think that's what our fiscal policy is headed us toward.
1: Yeah. Boy, I tell you, it's, it's, it's remarkable to sit back and, and, and watch this. And, of course, uh, when, you, when we, we hear the president defend uh, what's happened with gas prices, uh, he, of course, blames the conflict. He and Nancy Pelosi blame the conflict in Ukraine. Um, is that a lie?
0: Of of course, it's a lie. We've seen pipelines canceled. We've seen drilling contracts and leases that are canceled. And then there's the hidden policies that you don't hear about every day. But it's the stricter environmental standards that EPA or any rulemaking body creates that make it harder for businesses and consumers to access Cheaper energy sources. So 100% this is a lie from a leftist administration.
1: Yeah, amazing. One of the things that I, I want to kind of get your thoughts on, because I know that you have a background, you got your uh, master's degree from Wash U, and, and you have a really good understanding of, of logistics and supply chain management. Uh, when you look at the the issues, that, and they're bound to get worse because of uh, the lockdowns in, in, uh, in China and other parts of Asia, but uh, when you look at what's happened with our ability to uh, buy cars. Cars, that our ability to buy certain uh, construction materials, um, what do you chalk it up to? I mean, is there one thing that you can point at to say, yeah, this is, a, this is a disaster that maybe could have been avoided?
0: Yeah, well, we know from what we've seen over the last two years that it's not any one specific thing. We would see disruptions at our ports, cargo offloading. We would see distribution disruption with the trucking industry. Uh, fuel prices certainly impact. Those things, disruptions in uh, production capacity. So baby formula is a production and a regulatory issue, not a distribution or an import issue until we, you know, fail to import uh, or allow access to our markets from uh, European companies. Mm -hmm. These are all different parts of the supply chain, which goes to show that we, we have policymakers or deciders who fail to grasp the interconnectedness of how we've created our modern supply chains. What we need are policymakers who one firmly believe that producing domestically, while not always cheaper, avoids circumstances like we have right now, where we're not. We don't need to be dependent on China or Taiwan for producing semiconductors that go into our cars, or we don't need to rely on uh, Germany to save us with baby formula because we have better production capacity here in the United States, or we can't be held hostage by the port of Los Angeles because they have local zoning rules dreamed up by socialists and leftists (laughs) that restrict our ability to offload cargo uh, on our Western seaboard and allow us to ease that supply chain crisis. So every point of our supply chain has been tested over the last two years. And I would dare say that every time that we've been tested, we failed in the short term and had to overreact to overcompensate and try to fix that problem. We need policymakers who who don't support crazy rules that flex and change these things and and cause this pain for American consumers by understanding the the interconnectedness and what we ought to be doing back at home.
1: We are running out of time here, and I want to squeeze in two rapid-fire questions here. One is, why is it important uh, for people listening to this radio program, why is it important that we have a congressman from uh, Columbia, Boone County?
0: Well, you know, we've not had one for over a decade. Kenny Holsoff was the last congressperson who came from Columbia. And not to say that, that Vicky was not effective in her policy areas or that Congressman Luke Meyer, uh hasn't been able to, to represent the area. Uh, but when you have someone who understands say, the insanity of the city council or, uh, you know, any number of issues. Mid-Missouri is the driver. Columbia-Boom County is the driver of the mid-Missouri economy. And having a congressperson local who understands that can support the right things at the university, can support – our local economic engine, I think, goes so much further than trying to call somebody from Kansas City or St. Louis to fix our issues.
1: Yeah, great, great, great point. Uh, um, and then uh, finally, I want to just ask you real quick: uh, uh, what is your read? We have less than a minute here, but what is your read on the the candidates who have been endorsed by President Trump and their success in primary elections? Uh, what do you read into that situation?
0: Well, I I told a, another host, Randy Tobler, earlier this week that. Uh, President Trump is like any political leader. Sometimes he picks really good candidates and they shine in their districts. And sometimes, you know, President Trump is known for uh, holding grudges and uh, maybe making knee jerk decisions or endorsements. I think some of those candidates have floundered. So uh, by and large, I think most of the candidates he supported do well because he screens and wants to support good candidates that believe in America first and move us forward. But sometimes he he misses the mark and, uh, (laughs) Not to, not to break any news, but President Trump is just like any other man. Sometimes he makes mistakes. And by and large, he's uh, he's wanted to protect his brand and support candidates can win. Yep.
1: Taylor Burks, we appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us. Good luck in your congressional race. Uh, it'd be nice to have someone from Boone County in that chair. Thanks for your time. Hey, thanks for having me, Fred. That's Taylor Burks. This has been the CEO Roundtable. I'm Fred Perry. You've been listening to 93.9 The Eagle.
0: This city is my city and I'm-